Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Champions League Takeaway here on Ranks FC. It's time to look back at all the action across both days of this week's Champions League. The first legs of the round of 16 are complete. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the one and only transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yep, Champions League guru tonight. Um, could have done with a goal guru, really, couldn't we, in the Champions League this week? Um, the goal fest, it was not, but it was very competitive. And, you know, I think there's just a, a sense here that teams just didn't want to give a lot away and be out of the tie. And um, certainly I think that's what we we come out of this all with. You know, we've had four fixtures over the past two days and all of them, in a sense, are still alive. Yeah, definitely. Very much so, I think, in, in, in that regard. Look, goals are for the Europa League. We know that in the Europa Conference <laughs> League. And for those of you who like goals, uh, UE Ultras will be live on this channel first thing tomorrow morning, already recorded and ready. So that'll be out. Make sure you're tuned in. Let's get stuck in to the Champions League first, though. And let's start with Porto Arsenal. What were your three takeaways from the game of the Dragao tonight? Mate, honestly, I wasn't sure I could get three takeaways um, as we were heading into the late stages of this game. In uh, a thrilling affair, it was not, but it was drama in the end. Um, I wasn't sure what to make of Porto's game plan um, because for a lot of this game, I've got to say it was drab, right? And but actually, maybe that's a compliment to Porto. And I saw a lot of Arsenal fans on on social media talking about the fact that this game was not fun there was play acting there was 
time wasting. There was a lot of breaking up play and just like little uh, disruptive fouls. The referee was blowing his whistle a lot in this game. Trust mm-hmm. me. Um, but this is an Arsenal team that had just won six nil and five nil. So. What are Porto going to do? Go and play expansive football against a team that have shown they can absolutely kill you if you do that. Well, no, I mean, they. Uh, Conte Southside's never going to be playing ex- that much expansive football anyway. But yeah, I take your point. Yeah, but this is the thing, isn't it? You know, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of Porto uh, across this season. And I got the impression that this is not something new. I mean, even in, in the commentary of, of the two different commentaries that I listened to at various parts of, of this game. They, they kept going back to the fact that, you know, Porto were in this game just to congest the centre of the field, to uh, force Arsenal to play in a different way, to, to to cut out the opportunities for Martinelli and Saka to make their mark on a game. Well, sounds like a good game plan to me. Um, and ultimately, it, it it's paid off. I mean, Porto had to win this first leg. They had to. I mean, they played that up in the media quite a lot before the game. You know, a lot of the um, media outlets in Portugal were were talking about the fact it was a huge night and they had to win if they were going to go through this tie. It didn't look like they were going to get that goal. But then Galeno comes up Trump's big time late on. I'll talk about him in a separate point. But this is is a marvellous win for Porto. I mean... They said on the on the commentary again that they were they were celebrating like they've won the Champions League. Well, they've won a massive Champions League fixture and they've given themselves a, ch- a chance to make it through. So they've got every right to celebrate like that. And ultimately, if Arsenal fans were bored by this game plan, then tough because Porto have gone out there and they have absolutely pulled it off and they've got a result that nobody was expecting. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and and I think that one, this isn't a Porto vintage. And no pun intended, I suppose. But this isn't a, a team that has, has been as good as the Porto teams we've seen in recent years. That much is is very clear. The fact that they've already fallen away in the league behind Sporting and Benfica is testament to the fact that they have fallen off a level from, from where they were in previous years. But they do know how to execute a game plan. And they have been at this level of the competition for a number of different years under Conte Sao. He has learned how to manage these ties. He's learned how to manage expectations as well. And I think this is it. Nobody gave them a chance in the British media. And I think that one, that was almost certainly underestimating what this Porto team can do in sport. And I'm not saying they're going to go through because I think that at the Emirates, Arsenal are a force to be contended with. But they, as you say, they had to get something out of this game. And I thought that this was going to be a tough assignment for Arsenal. I thought it would probably be a draw. But for Porto to snatch a win like that, you actually look at the game the best chances, well, the best chance, there wasn't loads of chances. The best chance fell to Galeno in the first part, in first half. And then he scores an absolute wonder goal out of almost nothing, apart from a slight bit of sloppy Arsenal defending at the end. But as you say, the game plan worked to perfection. And if people thought that Porto were going to roll over at the Jagal, where they have an incredible record, especially in this competition, then they had another thing coming from the start. And, and actually to, to play it the way that they did, I thought it was very, very smart from Conte Sal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, shouts out to to Pepe as well. We've got uh, Juan in the comments saying, what a performance by Pepe. Yeah, 40 years old. I think the oldest player to figure in the Champions League knockouts. Um, yeah, marvellous. Um, and Brilliant. what a man. 
Shame he's only won this competition one time, really, because he probably deserved to have done it, it, it more times than that across his um, 300-year career. But, um, yeah, fair play to Pepe. Look, let's move on to Arsenal as point two. Are Arsenal wise enough yet? That's my big question. That's what I want to take away from this. Like, this is this team really, I guess, we have to remember it's, it is still in its infancy. I mean, last year it was too soon to challenge for the Premier League. And this season, let's be honest, it's too soon for them to challenge to win the Champions League. We did our rankings. I, I put them in at fifth and I said, I, I genuinely think that this Arsenal team can make the semi-finals, but I don't think they've got enough in them to actually get to the final. Sometimes I just, I watch Arsenal and when things are good, they're very, very good. But when things are tense, they really are tight. And this was an example of that. You know, I, Again, listen to the the commentary on the game tonight. They were lauding Arsenal for going to Porto. And this is before the goal was conceded. They were talking about the fact they kept a clean sheet in a place that was a tough place to go. And they were going back and they built a foundation. Which is all fine. Like, That's all fine. But now it doesn't look so good, does it? I mean, now you're looking back on it. An Arsenal team that had almost 70% possession failed to register a shot on target. Um, and yeah, it's good to dominate play, but to not have a shot on target is a concern. And I'm going to go back to something that I said a few times on Patreon this season, and that seems a bit silly on the back of them scoring six and five. But Arsenal's top players up front aren't as reliable as they seem or as they probably are going to need to be as we get to the final months of this season. You look at this match, Martinelli and Saka are shackled, Trossard misses opportunities that come his way and my fear for them is that they might lack the regular goal scorers that are needed at this level at this point in time of of their growth um I think it's hard again because that feels reactionary considering what we've seen recently but it's not I mean this is the thing I've I've said this further back when you go further back and I have I've, I've tried to like I've given Arsenal credit when they've come away from West Ham and Burnley and I'm like, actually, they've blown, they've surprised me here. I didn't think that this team could do that. But is it all emotional? That's what I'm wondering now. Is it just that they, when they're like, yeah, we're, we're great, we're so good and the goals are going in and they're loving it. And then when things go the other way, I'm just not sure. Like, again, Liverpool's goal power across their, the five players that, that they rotate across the front. Four second half goals tonight, right? Four second half goals tonight, and it's their their second string attack, right? And they're, they're still scoring four goals. Um, Man City, whatever you say about them in terms of their form, whether at their best of them, and they've still got Haaland that you're going to be able to rely on in big moments and in big games. When it comes to game management, you just got to worry a little bit for Arsenal in terms of whether they can do it yet. Um, and it's fine if they can't because this team has been running before you would expect it to walk across the last two seasons. And actually, the trajectory of them has been amazing. But it's a big test now. They've still got a good chance of going through in this game. Of course, they can go and and beat Porto at home. Um, Only 1-0 down here. And actually, maybe it's it's a good challenge for them to have to overcome, to be honest. It, It means that they've got to go and attack. But it's an interesting thing to consider that when they've gone and smashed in goals for fun recently, they've gone there and not had a shot on target. I think it's it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Because if this game ends nil nil, and you know Ethan 
quite rightly points out points out that that he thought Porto did a great job restricting Arsenal to those shots on target, and the defensive performance was good. I think the the flip side of this is. And, and maybe where I'd argue the naivety comes rather than in those striking options is that at nil-nil, Arsenal in complete control of this tie because they can go out and attack at home without feeling like a second goal could be the absolute antidote. And when it comes to what we're looking for and what we're trying to deal with, if Arsenal get out of here at nil-nil, it's different to them losing one deal. And, and and obviously it is, but now Porto can sit back and absorb again and hit on the counter in this second time. And whereas you're kind of flipping it as <laughs> the naivety here for me, if you will, is that they lose the ball so easily in these final moments. And yes, it's a wonder strike, 100%. But the flip side of that is if they don't give the ball away and let it come back at them two, three times in the final couple of minutes, then actually they come out of this at nil-nil and they're right in control of the tie going into the second leg. Listen, the third point just is a, is a quick one. Um, Galeno is obviously the hero of the day, but he also produced a miss I will never forget in the entirety of my life. Um, I've seen people miss um, some amazing chances through the years, but Galeno's double miss is just insane. His first effort is obviously fine and it hits the post and... You're it like, comes oh, back in quickly, man. Comes, no, absolutely. Like, he can miss it. But, like, the fact that that rebound doesn't go in, like, the, the guy inside the stadium played the goal music. Like, yeah, well, this is it. It, it. Like, the crowd sort of half celebrated. That was the really weird thing. It was like, there's no way he can miss. I couldn't believe it wasn't a goal. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, like, he wheeled away to celebrate and then realised the ball hadn't gone in the back of the net. Well, it was kind of set on the wrong side of the net. It was just, like, rolling across it. And, like, from various angles in that stadium, like, there's no way you would have been able to tell that they didn't go in the goal. But I've watched it back about seven times now. Um, and it's more fun every single time. That would have been sitting with him horribly tonight. If he hadn't scored an absolute worldie at yeah. the end of the game, like pulled what a out strike, a complete perler. What a strike. Like people can criticize Raya if they want. I'm not having any of it. It's an absolutely brilliant strike. He has that in his locker as well. I've seen him do that before for Braga in the Europa League. So this isn't new. Um, I did enjoy this from Jay Wigwam 3, who said, feels a lot like they're similar to Liverpool the year of Carrius. Great first 11 where the bench drops off quickly. And I think there's maybe some merit in that, um, especially with the injuries that we've seen recently. The, the bench tonight didn't feel that strong but with Fabio Vieira coming back with Jesus yet to come back there's probably a little bit more on Ramsdale's that better than Carrius um Ramsdale is better than Carrius that, that is very much true um LW2 says hi ranks FC if you can name seven tactical trends currently in world football what you think football fans should know about what would they be um Blimey. Sam thinks he's writing an article and fishing for answers it might be something that we can look for for an actual an yeah. actual episode there at some point, but we're uh, not digging that into a half-hour Champions League show. No, we're absolutely not. We're uh, we're going to come back to that, but we're going to start with Napoli Barcelona, which is the other game tonight. Um, my first takeaway is that this was very obviously two teams low on confidence and spark, basically. And if you put this to someone who just woke up from the nineties or two thousands, told them it was the champions of Spain against the champions of Italy, they would have laughed at you because if you think the Porto Arsenal game was low on quality 
this was a shambles in many, many ways. It was painfully... That's everything we expected then. That's everything we expected. It was painfully pedestrian for lots of the game. And although Barcelona were marginally the better side, I thought, it was only because they were sort of slightly less all over the place than Napoli were. And this game just felt like it needed someone to come in and take it by the scruff of the neck and nobody was able to whatsoever. And they spoke a lot about this game on the commentary and about how this competition could be the saving grace for two seasons, which have basically gone down the pan at this point for both. And I thought it was interesting because neither of these teams is getting anywhere close to winning the Champions League with performances like this. Now, it was like, Every time they got into the opponent's final third, the entire fi- the entire thing fell apart. And for teams with the amount of quality in the final thirds that you, these two sides have, it was at points like quite difficult to watch. And the fall off from where both were last year to where they are right now is tremendous. It, it's incredible to see what's going on in 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 that regard. So. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by it and I'm glad that I watched it, but it was really painful for someone who, you know, has has enjoyed watching both of these sides immensely over the last couple of years to see them play in a game this average. That was that was my first and probably main yeah. takeaway from I mean, this from does not surprise me. I mean we, nobody's enjoyed watching either of these sides recently, have they? Like not recent, recent. No, Is not it? really. This has lived up to its billing if it was a war fest. I'm surprised there was actually two goals in it. Were they two mistakes? Well, I was going to come on to this because the two <laughs> goals are scored by Robert Lewandowski and Victor Osimhen. Now, they're both quite good finishes. I've heard uh, about them. They're to... good players, right? Yeah, they're both very good players. Two big number nines, basically, coming up trumps for their respective clubs. And my original point here before Osimhen scored was that Lewandowski was doing a far better job as Barcelona's number nine than Osimhen was as Napoli's because... The way that Lewandowski tried to bring players into play um, and, and the way that he tried to make the attack tick around him was a stark contrast to the other end of the pitch where it felt like Osimhen's head went down every single time something didn't go. And look, maybe we're talking about a player on his way out of Napoli and maybe that's why it's a little bit different. But it just felt like Lewandowski was doing his best to encourage Barcelona into the final third. And every time something didn't come off for Osimhen, it was hands up in the air, it was head down. And there was a quite stark difference, but they've both come up with a goal. Now, the Lewandowski goal is better work. It's a nice little ball from Pedri and he tucks it home inside. And the Osimhen goal is basically Anigo Martinez failing to control Osimhen, who basically pushes him over and turns around and scores. But it wasn't, the way the game flowed. It wasn't the game that you expected. It was just the fact that Osimhen was stronger than Nico Martinez. That was simply the difference. And to be honest, Napoli have kind of got away with one here. Now, Barcelona will probably be the happier side. They played better. They've come away with a draw in the away leg. And, you know, they go back having thought, well, with a little bit more control in the final third, we should probably have put this game away. But instead, it now comes back as level pegging and look there's a little bit of time for Napoli to try and turn things around and look Zatano says the Napoli Barca game was average or bang on but that's also a reflection of their form this season 100% my kind of third takeaway is that Calzona who only had one training session and has come back into this Napoli side as their third manager this season 
has an incredible amount of work to do. And I saw some people discussing the idea of there being a new manager bounce or, you know, not being able to get that. I don't think he's had enough time to have even affected a new manager bounce yet. If there's going to be a new manager bounce, we'll probably see it at the weekend after there's been a couple of sessions with the coach. This was very much have one session, go to the press conference, play a game. And Napoli were disjointed. They're all over the place. But mostly I thought their heads had dropped. And actually that's going to be the biggest tackle and biggest challenge for for Calzona over the next couple of weeks. It is that he has to somehow try and get this team to band together again because it feels like the fall off from what Spalletti did last season has emotionally damaged the core of this team in so far as you can't recognise them when they're playing. There is no link up play there is no you know moments of interchange the midfield has lost all of its spark there is no connection between Kavadak Skelia and Ossiman anymore in fact the most effective player for Napoli I thought was was Politano on the other wing who at least was trying to do things but there is so much wrong here the tapestry has been torn apart and trying to stitch it back together in the limited time he has available now is an incredibly difficult job for an interim manager yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the last point to you is, is there any home advantage for Barcelona? I mean, it's certainly not like uh, not going to the new Camp for a second leg, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's very much not. And, you know, the their form at Montjuic has been poor. And actually, it's been their away form that's been better in La Liga across the course of this season. But I just don't think that unless Napoli can find something in the next three weeks, there is a little bit of a gap. So they have that to, to contend with. But until unless they can find some sort of cohesion very very quickly i can't see any way in which napoli turn this around Mm, interesting all righty well we'll leave wednesday's action there and we'll come on to tuesday's action where we're going to start with psv1 borussia dortmund one this was your game dj what did you make of it I'm not going to talk about uh, the boring aspects of it. Look, I mean, the the, the top point is, that for me, Dortmund should be taking a lead back home. Um, the penalty decision, Jack, was crushing, right? And I don't particularly want to sit here and moan about a refereeing decision right now and use it as a top talking point, but it's unavoidable. When Matt Summers takes down Tillman in the box early in the second half, the referee points to the spot and I am immediately like, well, that won't be a pen. That just won't be a pen. And it's given. It's not, the decision's not changed. Like, he touches the ball clearly. And I don't understand how, I know it has to be a clear error, blah, 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 blah. I thought it was the follow through. I thought it was the follow through. It's just not a pen, man. And like, I'd be fuming. I mean, Hubbles was fuming, wasn't he? he? Went on social media and talked about it. He said, this is the moment, basically, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Here's my rant. Um, I just can't believe that, um, yeah, it went down to that decision. Luke De Jong t- steps up, scores the pen, keeps PSV alive in the tie, but really felt like a kick in the guts for for Dortmund, that one. And it affected their night for sure. You see, it, it it took the, the rhythm out of them a little bit. I mean, it was a tough night anyway. This was a really um, it was a difficult fixture 
from both perspectives, really, in terms of game plans. I'll talk about that a bit more in a second. But yeah, I just I just felt that the the penalty decision was extremely harsh, um, and it would it it really robbed Dortmund of of a win that would have set them up brilliantly uh, to make it into quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird because I thought PSV were the better side, and yet it does feel difficult to stomach from a Dortmund perspective. I can see why he gave it. I, I will say that. I think the follow through is high enough to justify it looking like a foul, but I can equally appreciate Matt Sommel's frustrations by saying he won the ball. He played, he made two really good clean slide tackles before this. And this one just felt like it was maybe a stretch too far. And yeah, it, it did. It was harsh, but without, without being incorrect, like blatantly incorrect, I thought. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I I would be fuming if that was my team and that decision was given in those sorts of circumstances. But my second point was that it probably was a fair result. Um, while Dortmund are unlucky, um, PSV did still manage to have a fair, fair amount of shots. Um, and I think that coming away with a draw is... It is about right. PSV are one of the most informed teams in Europe. We already knew that. Um, this stretches their unbeaten home run to 31 games in all competitions, which is outstanding and just underlines really that this is a good result for Borussia Dortmund still. Um, Tillman and Bakayoko both missed um, chances that could have actually put PSV um, in the game before they got that penalty. Um, but chances generally were, were pretty evenly shared, I, f- I felt. Um Dortmund had a, a game plan which seemed to be that they would pin PSV back in their own half um, and try and play high. But PSV did well, actually, to come to terms with that. And they played their way out of some tricky situations throughout the night. It seems like um, a very risky game plan when you're putting Schlotterbeck up against was. Johan Bakayoko. It definitely was a risky game plan. But I think Dortmund just really felt that they needed to get a goal out of this game. Maybe they just knew that... You know, getting out of there with a clean sheet was going to be a near on impossible task. And so maybe they just felt like it was the best way was to alleviate um, as much pressure as they could by trying to keep the ball away from their goal for as long as possible and actually you know, try to bring their own front line into the game. Didn't think that Jaden Sancho had a, a, a night to write home about. But point three, Daniel Marlin did... Um, you know, goes to the past, wasn't it? Goes to the past, yeah. Goes back to his old club, scores an absolute belter. Yes, a deflection, but still a lovely goal. Um, felt like he had a directness to his game that, that I'm always on the fence about Marlon. I think he's a really, really good player, but I often don't see it when I actually watch a full Dortmund game. And it's frustrating. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels this way. And his future was up in the air, wasn't it? Even in the last transfer window. Yeah. But at his best, you can imagine him playing in like some of the best teams in Europe. Um, but I often come away just feeling a little bit meh, like you've been um, sold a little bit short. But this is one of those games when it, it, it felt good and it, everything he was trying to do. Maybe this goes hand in hand with the fact that Dortmund were playing high and tried to force PSV backwards. Um, but he had a good night and obviously he, he took his opportunity well. He, he made the made the opening for himself. Yeah, it's a good feat. It's beautifully. Um, he's the first Dutchman to score against a Dutch team in the Champions League um, since Arjen Robin for Bayern Munich against PSV in October 2016. So it's been a long time since this one um, was replicated. But it was a muted, muted celebration from him. But, mate, he must have been screaming inside because he 
it had that many moments like this. Um, and yeah, on another day, it would have been the winner. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was interesting. And Alan brings this up. He says Dest is making people look like fools out there. It's a funny one because it was a good battle on that wing between Dest and Marlon. Yeah. And I thought both of them had really good games, which is a, a kind of funny space to be in because normally if your wingers had an absolute stormer, then the fullback they're playing is the one that's been torched. Or if your fullbacks had a stormer, then the winger they're playing has been pocketed. But actually, both of them had really good games. And I thought it was just an interesting one to keep an eye on. That battle down that side felt like the most interesting part of this game. Yeah, some credit on both sides. But look, PSV, you said not to write them out of this tie. Um, You felt like people might um, underplay their chances and that they deserved a bit more respect and... Uh, I appreciate actually you saying that when we were, we were making the rankings and I was like, yeah, I'm actually not giving them a fair crack of the whip. They've got a really good chance of going through here. Um, Dortmund are going to have to be at their best to beat them in the second leg. Yeah, I mean, they're creative and they're very, very fluid in attack around Luke de Jong, who's maybe the least fluid man on, on the pitch. Well, on the planet, perhaps. But, yeah, but around up, him, around up. him, things work in really nice ways. Yeah. I, I love the way that their midfield streams forward. I love the way that, you know, they get these wingers inside and, and make them start to play. And de Jong is actually the, the gravitational pull around which it all orbits. So, yeah, I, I think they've got a shot. I really do in, in Dortmund. Yeah, this could be very interesting. Leg. And I'm I'm looking forward to that second leg. I'll come on to the final game then, which is Inter against Atletico Madrid and three takeaways. So my first is Inter are relentless. If at first you don't succeed, try and try and try again. And eventually someone will deflect the Marco Arnautovic shot into the back of the net. (laughs) Um, Arnautovic more than anyone this applies to because his hold up work was really impressive when he replaced Turam. He missed two glorious opportunities to give his side the lead and then finally got his goal. But also Lautaro, who forced the goal after being uncharacteristically wasteful and Turam himself as well, who had his own chances in the first half before going off injured. And they just kept knocking and knocking and knocking at the door. And eventually it gave way. And I think this was really impressive because it could have gone heads down, right? With this inter side, they could have looked at this and gone, right, Lautaro is not scoring. Turam's gone off injured. Arnautovic has had to come on. They've been frustrated with Arnautovic. The crowd are getting on his back. And finally, he's the one. And look, there was great celebrations as well. One Inzaghi said afterwards, they were delighted for him because he's been working so hard in training. But also the players kind of flocking to him and getting around him felt like a big moment for Marko Arnautovic because his chances have been reasonably limited by Marcus Turam. Mm. But he had to come in and make a difference. And when he was called upon upon in the biggest game this season so far for him, he was the one that, that made the difference, albeit at the third time of asking. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I was I was expecting um, Lautaro to be the headline act. Um, it doesn't turn out to be the case. You do need somebody to step forward. I mean, obviously, I've said at the, at the top of the show, like I, I worry about Arsenal when you know backs are against the wall when you're struggling to get that breakthrough where's it going to come from you know you can't always win five and six nil where where's that moment going to come from and intra going to find themselves in situations like that and um yeah deflected or not it still found its way in yeah i mean it was going in so we'll give him the credit on on that one maybe samolino on the line to do better but it's a little bit it felt like the right thing to happen it felt like the right result was achieved here and it takes me on to number two which is Atleti always seem to revert to type in the Champions League and it hurts them. Now, there are caveats 
to how defensively minded they were. Firstly, that they're traveling to a dominant interside and staying in the tie was obviously the main objective. Objective achieved, Simeone will say. But the only reason that came to pass is that it was an off night for Inter in front of goal. As we mentioned, Atleti were well beaten here. Morata not starting through, Andrew, through injuries is also part of it. But I do think that Atleti need to give a bit more at the wonder if they're going to turn this one around. And I think maybe he needs to be a bit braver in the middle. Both youngsters might be a gamble too far, but I'd really like to see one of Pablo Barrios or Arta Vermeeren start in this second leg to try and get a handle on the game in possession. Because in the second half in particular, Inter was so aggressively dominant and it was so one-sided that it kind of felt like Atleti went further and further and further back into their shell. And actually, when you kind of look at all of that put together, it didn't make any sense for them to not have an outball. And it just felt like wave and wave and wave of inter pressure. And eventually they cracked because against this kind of talent, you always do. Yeah, absolutely that. I mean, Vermeeren, do you think he's ready for a challenge like that? I mean, obviously it's, it's easy. Maybe up. not Vermeeren, but Barrios has played a lot this season. He's been trusted in big yeah. games already this season. I think maybe Barrios coming I mean, in. Vermeeren's great, don't get me wrong, but... He's played in the Champions League, obviously. Well, he played in big games yeah. already, so it's not like he's unused to the competition. No, I love but... him. It, it's just it, these fixtures are like, these are titanic battles, aren't they? Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he's he's going to put him into matchups like that just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think this might be one for Barrios. But yeah, I, I just, Atleti need to be braver if they're going to get anything out of this. Because mm-hmm. my, my third point is that there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Inter can win this competition under Inzaghi. They oh, didn't... I was going to say this to you. I was going to say, how did you think that they're, they're fair from here? They didn't concede a shot on target in a Champions League game for the first time since 2006. Bastoni was absolutely immense at the back and he would have rightly won man of the match if Barella hadn't put in one of the all-encompassing midfield displays that you'll see this season. Dominated a midfield with the experience of Saul and Koke and the guile of Rodrigo de Paul. He basically did it on his own. And it was no wonder that Simeone was telling Inzaghi that he needed to come off when he pulled up early on. Lautaro is top scorer in Serie A for a reason. He will not be this profligate if he's given these opportunities again. And it comes down to Inzaghi because his system is so perfect for this team. The way they pull teams around with overloads, those switch balls. I don't think anybody's succeeded with more long passes in Europe this season than Inter. And that's because they have the ability to drag teams into small spaces and then look for that big switch to the onrushing wing back. And I think Inzaghi doesn't, get the credit he deserves maybe outside of Italy because he's undoubtedly a top five in the world manager. He's a phenomenal coach. And I think Inter look like the most complete side in Europe right now, even with just a one nil win here. And yes, Atleti are still in this tie and this is very much not over, but in terms of performances and a big performance against the toughest opposition, I think they could have been handed. This was a masterclass of the Miazza. And I was, it was, in some ways, it's such a joy to watch interplay. Yeah, and I mean, it is one of the tougher ties that we see at this stage of the competition. So it's, it's worth bearing in mind. I mean, we've just seen games like, you know, Arsenal losing to FC Porto. So to go and beat Atletico Madrid in the first leg is is obviously a good marker for where Inter are at. Um, I think, look, generally, I mean, look across the last couple of days, we really haven't seen many goals, but as I said at the top, that kind of typifies where we're at right now and the edginess of just wanting to stay in the ties. A lot of these games, I think, are going to open up in the second leg. 
I'm not sure this one's gonna. Um, th- this doesn't seem to have the making of a tie that's suddenly gonna open up. But what do you think Atleti do? Because they're not likely to go all guns blazing, are they? No, they're probably not. And there is a sense of, okay, what do you have to do in order to stay in this game as much as, as anything else? Because as you know, we've just discussed, Inter have the ability to blow teams away. But I think that they need to be able to get Griezmann into the game more. Morata almost certainly has to start. Now, injury has curtailed his involvement here, so he was only able to come off the bench. But that combination has to be reinstated, I think. And there needs to be something a little bit bolder in that midfield because there was no way of connecting the two. And it felt like Griezmann was incredibly isolated. Samuelino did his best getting up and down that left flank. But generally, I just thought that Atleti felt overwhelmed when they got numbers into the final third. Mm. And they're going to have to change that if they're going to turn this one around. Very good, mate. Very good night of champions, despite the lack of goals. As we say, the goals are coming tomorrow night here on the YouTube channel and on the Patreon. There is going to be AUE Ultras as well. So if you want to get stuck into that, please be my guest in the morning. There's lots on what games to watch and why is all very exciting. And I'm excited about sharing it with you all. But for now, thank you very much to everyone who's tuned in and for giving us your questions and thoughts. I enjoyed this from Sebastian Sherwin to finish with up the ranks. Thank you very much, yeah. Sebastian, up the ranks. Thank you so much for listening as well. We do appreciate you very, very much. Thank you for listening to all three episodes on the Ranks FC feed this week. There's been a lot of content. We appreciate that. But this is the last for a little while. We'll be back next week. For now, though, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you all very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.